Every doctor has a minimum of 19 years of education, $189,000 spent to procure it. Most doctors work on average 12 hours a day and 59.6 hours per week. A hospitalist walks five miles a day. They will see between 40,000 and 250,000 patients in their career, spending 5.9 hours documenting their visits. So needless to say, doctors are tired. These are their stories. Welcome back to Tired Doctors Talking. This is a podcast with lovely ladies, Marguerite and Monique, two medical doctors with melanin discussing morbidity and mortality bi-monthly-ish. <laughs> ish. I feel like ish is the, um, that's, that's like the motto of my life. <laughs> I'm done-ish. I was on time-ish. The laundry is folded-ish. <laughs> yes so hello my friend hey marguerite how are you today i am fine how are you doing monique i am fine ish i am fine ish fine ish is definitely the appropriate description (laughs) how are you doing today i'm good i'm good i am um trying to wrap it up with um the holidays Mm -hmm. so happy holidays yes indeed merry christmas hansa kwanaka Yes, Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Um, Festivus for the rest of us. Festivus, solstice. Solstice. Wait, that's like the longest night, right? Yes, that was the twenty-first. That's horrible, and I'm so glad it's over. I, <laughs> I will say that spending nine years in Southern California, mm-hmm. you forget what Northeast winters are like. And though I've been back for several years, oh, then the, the darkness it, it like comes oh and technically today is the third night of kwanzaa which means it's umoja which is collective work and responsibility you miss kujikajalia which is self-determination which is just the funnest to say all right awesome awesome <laughs> so what's your weekly win my friend so my weekly win is probably honestly just completing my last hospital shift before I go out on maternity leave. Um, Baby. Yay. I was on the 23rd, the 24th and 25th pulling 12 hour shifts and we made it through, um, which means all the hospitaling is done for this pregnancy. And it is definitely a win because so it was a hospital shift that actually sparked Um, us going to the hospital for my miscarriage last February. Hmm. So kind of every time I had a hospital shift, there's this extra layer of like, (gasps) like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's nice to be like all hospital shifts are done and accounted for, you know, it was also a holiday. So I get a little bit extra in my check next month. And we all, you know, we all made it through, you know, me and mixtape We're we're all good. I did have some increased uterine irritability on my uh, prenatal testing the next day. And they were like, oh no, what if you have like an infection or this and the other? I'm like, no, I just pulled three twelves. Like, (laughs) just let me go to sleep. I'll be all right. (laughs) So, so yeah, that was, that was my win. What was yours, Monique? So, um, 
That's a good question. It hasn't been like an overly bad week and a half since we last spoke, but it, I haven't been like winning, you know. Right. <laughs> like, let me think. Let me think. Oh, I'm back on the discharge summary winning train. Hey. I know that's been a a um recurrent theme that mm-hmm. I've been trying to you know with, and I got a dictaphone at work. Oh, yeah. And it has changed my life. I feel like I'm a lot more efficient um, and also wordy. Yes. Which, like wordy it's a weird combination a, yep. to be faster, but say more things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dictaphone broke. And so oh. I'm using like my, my cohort's dictaphone. But either way, I'm jazzed about that. So that's very exciting. So weekly... Loss, I would say, um, I am like, it's been, it's been the holidays. It's been Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. I have been consistently like one step behind everything for Christmas. So for instance, we decorated our tree, like maybe like four days before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, tree's been up since Thanksgiving and it's been up. It's been standing, <laughs> yes. you know, and my husband's like, we just, we have to put something on this, this tree, you know? So, um, and then I will say that, um, I didn't exactly wrap all the Christmas presents. So like some people, I was like, well, this is what you're getting. It's in a box and it's labeled the thing that it is. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, and then then like um the baby's birthday is the day after christmas right and so you would think like for her one year birthday like for number one i did like this whole thing and for number two i was like what do you do for the day after christmas like nobody's around nobody wants to go to like a baby's birthday party and like mm-hmm. this and that and then then my husband's like i'll just pick pick up cupcakes i'm like boom birthday you know <laughs> and, like consistently yes. like half to one whole step behind um like i still have a bag full of decorations that i'm like next year and i say next year and it'll be like next year again so so i'm going to defend your late tree putting up because honestly it really depends on what tradition your family had my family the tradition was that you may have even gotten the tree but we did not decorate the tree until christmas eve and then you kept it up through three kings day and then you hopefully got down before valentine's day so i think it very much depends on what your family's tradition is Mm -hmm. stefan's family was definitely a the day after thanksgiving tree family so we try to compromise to do it in like mid-december but you know i find four days before christmas a perfectly reasonable time to to put up a tree so I'm, uh, what I'm about to say is probably Christmas heresy. And I know when my husband hears this, he's going to say, you know, I don't know this woman. But I actually really dislike a live tree. Yeah. Like my husband is all about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel like it's tree murder. Yeah. I was raised with live trees until yeah. I was married. And I honestly, now having not had a live tree for the last, you know, 10 years i i mean unless it's gonna be a pine tree that's literally in my front yard i don't see the necessity of chopping down a tree to put in my house that's gonna be later just 
thrown in the trash. I know. We we actually got two trees this year. So one is the the live tree. Mm-hmm. We um we have it in an area that, that the kids can't get to. And it has all the ornaments that we bought before we had children. So, you know, like things that are breakable and, and pretty. Right. Um and then we have a fake tree inside the house, which I think works great for kids because the needles aren't falling off and they're not exactly. eating them. And then the bottom half is not decorated. Only the top parts are decorated to keep little hands from taking ornaments off. And those things are sharp. Like, that's the thing I remember about live trees is that if you don't water them for a day or two, those things get sharp. So even if you're not, like, actively eating them, if you're just, like, running past or walking past the tree, it's like, ah, it's painful. So, yes, no, I... We had a, we used to always, the compromise was that the fake tree was going to be the big tree and I'd have a little live potted tree, but they don't actually survive well. They don't live well, like over long periods of time. Like I've never had one live long enough that we'd actually be able to plant it outside. So Can we I tell you what I just learned about trees? What? Because I'm not a botanist right. at all. Mm-hmm. I just learned that bonsai trees are regular trees just in small pots so they never grow yep i thought bonsai trees were like a breed of tree nope mind blown (laughs) (laughs) my mind was like what and i'm sure that it's one of those pieces of information that's like you are too old to not know this but i truly didn't know that no like i told you like i found out that the writer of two of my favorite children's books that stars or the main characters are black people um, were both written by white dudes. And I'm like, wait, what? Cause I just assumed that every children's book written in the eighties was probably written by some black person, but nope. One was well, like by the guy from reading rainbow, LeVon Burton, not written by him. <laughs> they were not written when by LeVon like eighties black literature. I think reading rainbow. So, but he would just read, have read yeah but books. i didn't know that okay i didn't know fair. that i was a little kid <laughs> that's fair that's fair i thought this dude had a whole bunch of books that he was responsible for creating <laughs> <laughs> so and then he was all of a sudden on star trek and i was like what is happening who's gonna write all these books who's gonna write all these children's books yeah. so yeah so ezra jack keats who wrote the whole like whistle for willie and peter's chair like series of like books in the snowy day apparently it's just like this jewish guy from new york and then this other book called that's written called corduroy apparently the main characters are like this little black girl and his, her mother but apparently the guy based it on his wife and child and we're like oh interesting so it's just a white guy who married a black woman and wrote a book about his wife and kid interesting that's nice. that's nice. really cool you write what you know you yeah. write your wife and child my weekly loss is probably um, the realization that I am at 34, over 34 weeks now. I'll be 35 weeks in two days. And the realization that I am going to be term in three weeks and I'm going to have a small person like on the outside of me and like, <laughs> you know, like, almost in five weeks and that feels very crazy to me right now 
I, like, I would I, say, I think everyone has that moment where you're like, oh no, this is a permanent thing and it's happening. Like for me, it was all fun. You know, I had mm-hmm. cool, cute outfits and a little belly and I was still in my heels at like, you know, 32 and this and that. But it was when we went to buy a diaper bag for number one. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is really cute. Something, something. And then my husband says to me, well, you know, we have to really think about being able to fit bigger things in, you know, from when they're like two and three. And I was like, two and three? <laughs> Why would a two-year-old and a three-year-old need diaper bags? And he's like, because... Even if they're not in diapers, they're messy and they need this. And I was like, what? Like, I, I don't know what it was about that moment. Where I was like, uh-huh. I can't do this. I can't do this. You mean to tell me I'm going to have to carry a book bag for like 18 years? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I like walk out of the store and he's like, are you okay? I was like, I don't, I don't see. I don't see why a child would need a diaper bag at three. I don't understand what is wrong with this kid. And he's, he's like. I think we should go. I was like, no, I think we should. Like, <laughs> so everyone has like this weird moment of like, this is a, yeah. this is a real thing. So you're yeah, having I your have, weird moment. So, yeah. Yeah. I had, so I was, I have this pregnancy journal called 40 ish weeks. So where like each week is like, it's a page. So you can like, you know, write your thoughts or put in like, you know, you know, ultrasound pictures or what have you. So, you know, and I was looking at it and I was like, flipping and I was like there are only there are only six pages left wait a minute like what like there's only there's only three pages back and forth like that's it front and back that is that is all that is that is that I was like I just figured out how to be pregnant like yeah. and now it's gonna be over like <laughs> so so yeah that's 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 my freak out of the week in addition to just like having to figure out all the leave stuff and like it's just uh, America is not a friendly place to families and it highly frustrates me how, you know, someone's like, I was on like one of these pregnancy support boards and that she was like, Oh yes, well I'm working to 38 weeks too. So I can get my whole nine months off. And I was like nine months off. She's like, yes. In the UK. I was like, Oh, well, yes. You live in the civilized world. I live in the United States where they don't care about families. And Even Papua New say- Guinea and Papua New Guinea, us and Papua New Guinea—that's yeah. a whole different conversation. Yeah, it is. It is. But that was the other part yeah. of the other frustration of my week. That—that uh, that was the other like weekly loss. Is just like looking at all this paperwork I have to do just to have some time off with a newborn yeah. child. Yeah, and and the the truth of the matter is that we are usually people who can be in positions that have jobs that support it and families that support it. You know, um, I took more time off than I was paid for. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it was the right thing to do for our family. And I, you know, I understand that people can't. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah. (sighs) That's, that's us. That's us. Yeah. That that's the, that's America is is great. (laughs) We're great. So, how do you feel about Dr. Google? Again, as I said before, and when we're introducing ourselves, I welcome my patients to look things up. 
I want you to look things up. I want you to, you know, go and say, hey, I looked this up or, oh, I heard my cousin has this. But still, you have to be open enough to allow me to say, well, even though you have muscle weakness, I don't think that you have Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> you know, you have to allow me to, to say, to give you the reasons why it is not these things, you know, or to say, Hey, let's do a workup to see if it is one of these things mm -hmm. without just jumping to say, Hey, this is what it is. You know, and this works for parents and kids too. You know, I have had parents bring kids in who say, my child has X. And when you're like, well, no, your child has a viral cold because they go to daycare and they don't need antibiotics and their ears actually look fine. Then they're like, but no, I know my kid. This is what's happening. My kid needs this. And, and again, there's that, that you're not allowing me to do my evaluation to bring my expertise and participate in the relationship. You know, and the, the cruel way to say it is this is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way. You know, this, this is, this, I do not work for you. This is not a thing where, you know, I am just your employee. We are partners in a team where we're trying to get you to your best help. So we both have to bring what we can bring. Okay. So can you give me an example of a difficult patient interaction and we'll work it to unpack it? Yes. So this is a sample of a, of a situation that most frequently which is the doc, I have runny nose, I have a cough, it's been going on for two weeks, I felt really, really bad, but it's not as bad, but I'm still having some congestion, I think I have a sinus infection or pneumonia, Then I say, you know, it's very normal to have a cough up to six weeks after a virus. So that's not unusual. You know, I'm doing an examination and it actually looks like you have allergies that are not being addressed because you have a lot of postnasal drip and looking in your nose at the mucosa, the your nose the skin in your nose, it actually looks big and it looks blue and it looks squishy, which is also evidence of allergy. So what I think you actually need to do is use this nasal spray that will help reduce inflammation in your nose from your allergies so that you can get over it. So you can stop having post-nasal drips so you can stop having a cough. I'm listening to your lungs right now. You do not have a fever. You have no recent history of fever. I don't hear any evidence of pneumonia and I don't think exposing you to radiation for a chest x-ray is appropriate. So I do not think you need antibiotics. 
I do not think you need a chest x-ray for pneumonia. I think this is a post-viral cough with allergic rhinitis. Well, doc, I don't think that's true. I think I need antibiotics. So this is a difficult one because the antibiotic thing comes up over and over and over and over again. Uh -huh. I know in your world, significantly more than mine. And then in my world, trying to tell hospitalized patients that you don't need an antibiotic or we're going to stop all your antibiotics and just mm -hmm. watch you and see what happens right? Um, is really difficult. We've been taught that we need a pill for everything, specifically that antibiotic pills fix colds. Yep. <laughs> um, and when we try and do some good stewardship by what you said, looking at eyes, ears, nose, throats, taking swabs, um, checking for lymphadenopathy, asking about fever. Um, there's a lot of pushback. So how do you navigate that? So let's role play. Dr. Chagall, I am here. Um, I have this cough and a sore throat. I need a Z-Pack. Okay. So, you know, we, we just did the... I just listened to your lungs. I just looked at your throat and your ears and nose and everything, you know, and as I just told you when I was examining you that, you know, your lungs sound clear, you're not having any sinus pressure, you're not having any fevers. So I don't think antibiotics are likely going to help. You even mentioned that your kid was sick, which means this is likely a virus. And the thing about viruses is that antibiotics don't treat viruses they treat bacteria. So if you are taking an antibiotic for a virus, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to make you feel better any faster. But my sister, my sister had the same thing and they gave her a Z-Pack. And I can't speak for your sister's doctors or what they may have seen on examination or what may have made that doctor give your sister a Z-Pack. Um, I don't know if it was exactly the same thing, but what I can say is from what we are saying, you as my patient, because I'm not your sister's doctor, I'm only your doctor. From what I see going on in you right now, I think giving you an antibiotic could cause more harm than benefit. And that's what we do with all medications. We want to maximize the benefit and reduce the harm. So if I don't think it's going to help you and it might just make things worse, then I don't think it's something that you should be taking. So what if I get worse? What are you going to do then? So, yeah, that's an excellent question. So um, say, you know, you've been doing this for about four days. Um, and I can tell you the worst part of most viruses is day four, five, and six. So you may feel a little bit worse over this next weekend. But coming around to the end of the weekend, next Monday, Tuesday, you should start feeling better. If you get out to next Wednesday or Thursday and you're still feeling poorly, you know, if you're a week out and you're still feeling poorly, go ahead, call in, come back. I have acute slots every day. Uh, my nurses can kind of meet with you and we can see if something in your exam or something that's happened the last seven days has changed. And, you know, people can get bacteria on top of viruses, but that doesn't usually set in for at least two weeks. So what you're saying is that I'm not sick. 
but I'm here and I feel sick, but you're saying that I'm not sick. I said that you have a virus. So you do have a germ that is making you sick, but the germ that's making you sick is a virus and not a bacteria. So I'm giving you an antibiotic won't help your virus. Very good. <laughs> I like how patient you were. I was going to ratchet it up. I was going to get real yonkers on you. But I was like, no, Monique. Be your professional. <laughs> this year, I was going there. I was like, what you're saying is. But I was yeah. like, no, Margaret's doing, Margaret's doing really well. But that's the thing. Like, that's what patients do, though. They'll be like, oh, so you're telling me I'm not sick then? No, I didn't say you're not sick. I acknowledge that these are your symptoms. Oh, so you're just saying I'm just going to. I don't need anything. I said, actually, what I said is you need rest and you need hydration. Oh, like patients will just put words into your mouth. Oh, so what you're saying is you're just cutting off my medications. I don't get anything for pain. I didn't say you're not getting anything for pain. In fact, you're on four different things. You're on an anti-inflammatory. You're on gabapentin. You are on um, Tylenol, you are on an antidepressant that also addresses your pain. You're on four pain medications. I'm just not giving you an opiate. Yeah. Like, so it is very, very common that patients will just put words into my mouth. Similarly, patients will also just completely discount anything I've said. They'll be like, <laughs> well, I'll say, I'll look at their labs and say, Hey, you know, according to your labs, you're really low in vitamin D, you know, and it looks like you're pre-diabetic. This could be leading to you being, feeling tired all the time. And they'll be like, well, actually I think it's because I have pernicious anemia. And it's like, wait, what? No, <laughs> no, you're, 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 we did your labs. The, the, your hemoglobin was fine. You know, these are your problems. They're like, mm -mm. so my auntie said, and <laughs> And, and those are definitely a huge breakdown in the team because if I can't, if you don't allow me to bring my knowledge, if you're just to discount my knowledge, then those are the people who I'm like, why are we even here? Like, like if, if the words out of my mouth do not have any effect on what you believe or what you will then act and do, then why are we having this conversation? So can I ask, and this is a legit question, then how do we expect patients to balance autonomy, having a healthy um, question, like, um, goodness, I'm searching for words, um, just not believing each and everything that they're being told and blindly following what every physician says? Because the truth is we do want people to question mm -hmm. We do want people to give their input and and push back a little bit. Um, and I, I will say that that's something that I often have to say, like, okay, people are just asking, or you know, they're they're feeling out of their element. And so, when you're out of your element, you ask questions in a certain way, or you go with the thing that you know. Um, and so, how do how do you? How do you expect patients to really balance that? So what the biggest thing and the biggest barrier for me is that I do a lot of data and evidence-driven medicine. So when I tell a patient something, I bring it 
up with evidence. So even if they said, hey, doc, I actually think I have pernicious anemia, I would then say, but your hemoglobin is fine. You know, so I think there is a balance of not just trusting what any old person tells you, mm-hmm. but also allowing for evidence to change your understanding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, and, and like I said, I take my title as doctor, meaning to teach very seriously. So my goal is when you leave the room, you understand this is what we did and why. So not all doctors are like that. I acknowledge that, you know, there are lots of people who are like, oh, I never knew that, you know, you know, that opiates were on the beers criteria and I'm not supposed to use them over 65. Like there are lots of things that patients have not been told or have not been warned about. So I think in, as a patient, if you allow yourself the ability to say, okay, well, I'm not just going to believe anything anyone tells me, but if they can tell me how and why, that, that is the, that is the point of reason to me. Well, I think it's a, it's obviously a very difficult relationship and above all finding somebody who jives with you in that relationship is really important. And that I is think also true. it's really hard for patients. Patients rarely, let me rephrase that. Patients don't get to pick their hospitalists, right? It's who is on call, who's up mm-hmm. for an admission, who's up for a bounce back from the ICU, blah, blah, blah. But with your primary care physician, your obstetrician, you're filling the blank. In theory, you should have more ability to find somebody who you jive with, who's going to be on this journey with you. Um, I think it's hard because your insurance may limit you to a certain type of or number of providers. And then people feel kind of locked into things if they don't find someone that they get along with. Um, Maybe limited by your physical location. If you're in a rural area, you know, and there's like the Mm -hmm. town doctor, then you better find a way to get along with the town doctor. You know, um, but it is about, I would say, not being afraid to want to invest in that relationship. And I can say I've also seen the reverse happen. I have seen the patients who are like, I don't want any options. Doc, just tell me what to do. I always don't like that. And and that that is another thing that's to me. That is, again, you're not a part of this therapeutic relationship. You're just abdicating everything. And, and that's another thing that I, I don't, I feel like makes a, a poor relationship because I want to know, you know, often at the end of my visits, I'll say, when do you want to come back and see me? Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Cause I've had patients who are like, I've never been asked that before. I don't know, you know, or, you know, so here are the two medications that we could use to treat your blood pressure. Which one do you want? They're about equal. Oh, you know, here, this is what's going on with you right now. Here are the different things that could be going on with you right now. Do you want to do a big workup? One I do very commonly because I have really, really good ears is heart murmurs. 
Mm-hmm. I hear a ton of heart murmurs. When I did my cardiology rotation, especially when I was on Pete's cardiology, they were like, are you sure you don't want to be a Pete's cardiologist? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm family medicine, but thank you. I, I appreciate <laughs> the compliment that you guys think my ears are good enough that I could just hang out with you guys. So were you, did you hear, um, what was it? Yanni versus. Oh yeah. I, I, I um, Oh, what was the other one? It was Yanni versus Laurel. Laurel. Yeah. So what did you hear? Did you hear Yanni versus Laurel? I think I mostly heard Laurel. I heard Laurel too. Anyway, random. Yeah, that was random. <laughs> but, but, you know, so a lot of times, for example, I'll say, hey, have you ever been told you have a heart murmur before? And people are like, no, no, I haven't. And yeah. I'm like, oh, you know. Everyone was like, am I going to die? And and I was like, you know, murmurs are very, very common. There's any number of reasons you can have a heart murmur. Um, now, if you're very concerned, we could look this up with an echo or we could just, I can continue to monitor it. And as long as it's normal and you're not having any symptoms, you're fine. And that's like, and people will just be caught off guard. It's like, I don't know. What do you think? And I'm like, this, this one isn't up to me. This is up to you. These are the options. I do not know what you want to do, you know? So I think either way too far, either you have to do exactly what I say, or I will do whatever you say. Both of those are just breakdowns in that, that doctor patient team. Well, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough relationship and you have to find people you drive with. Um, and I am totally I'm fine. I'm, I'm like the worst. I haven't seen a primary care physician in like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Obstetricians, yes. Um, we are very bad patients. Yeah. Doctors are terrible patients. I try to be a good patient. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I can say as a patient, I've had a few interactions with healthcare providers that just threw me off like I was like and I will not be coming back to see you mm-hmm. um and it made me very cognizant of how I interact with people um and I'm not going to win over everybody <laughs> in any way shape or form but if and I can make the majority of people feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. then that's important to me and I am the first one to say like if if I'm seeing you in primary care that, you know, if you choose to switch from some, from me to someone else for a, you know, a, a reasonable reason, Oh, I've seen this person before and I really like them, you know, Oh, you know, you know, Dr. Chicago isn't on in clinic on Wednesdays and that's the day that I can see patients that I need to be seen. I, I have no problems with you switching from me, you know, to go to other people you know i i understand that there are personalities that that just do not mesh well and that is okay you know i know one particular patient um and he's not the only one but i've had several particular patients who were like dr chicago always runs late i can't deal and part of it is because i've always said that i feel like there are two types of of physicians they're the ones who see their doc their patients on time every time and they're ones that give 
each patient all the time they need. And they're not usually the same patient. They're not all oh, the same doctor. I mean, they're not usually the same doctor. You know, maybe if you're treating mild hypertension and that's all every patient has, you'll be able to see every single patient mm -hmm. on time. But some patients require more. And I do try and give those patients more time if they need it. So, yeah, there are days I run, you know, 20 minutes late. There are days I run an hour and a half late. You wow. know, it all it all depends on who's there that day. And I try to ask the schedulers to schedule patients who I know need extra time mm -hmm. on in like the last slots or in spaces where they can have like a double slot and things like that. But it doesn't always work out that way. So, you know, and I make it very clear that when I'm seeing you, I, you have my undivided attention, which leads me to another thing unreasonable patient expectations. I am not on call 24 seven just for you. I have other patients. So yeah, if you're calling into my clinic and I'm with, in with a patient, I am not getting out of that patient room to talk to you on the phone. Mm -hmm. That's why I have support staff. If it is something crucial enough, that I need to talk to you. I will call you at the end of my day, but I I am not on call 24 seven just for you. Well, I'd say that that should be flattering that they think so highly of you. <laughs> I mean, if you want to give me some concierge money, cause I mean, concierge medicine is quite lucrative, but yeah. yeah. It is, it is, it is different. I mean, that's part of the reason why I went into um, hospital medicine is that I am supported by people who are there when I'm not. Right. Um, and for me, it was definitely a lifestyle concern because I watch a lot of primary care physicians really are like the most giving people um, and they're so available. Yeah. So not that I'm not available. But I'm not available outside right. of the hospital. Um, and that, for me, was uh, a big reason I chose my career. It's so, the reason I still do hospital medicine, because it's a nice, it's nice to be like, I'm off shift. I'm done. You got to call somebody. You're not calling me. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a nice um, break. And similarly, like, you know, just like you can't walk into the clinic and expect to be able to see me. Like I might have a full patient load that day. The, all my acute slots may be filled already. You know, those, those expectations I think are just not reasonable. Also expecting easy fixes or having all the answers. You know, I still do continuing medical education. You know, you may come to me and give me your symptoms and might be like, I don't know what's going on right now. We have to do a workup. You know, there's a possibility we'll do a workup, we'll send you to all the specialists, and we still won't know exactly what's going on. You know, that's, that is the nature of medicine. I may not be able to give you just one pill to make it all go away. We may have to tackle this from like five different modalities. Mm -hmm. You know, all of that is, is, you know, other things that I feel like, you know, patients forget to to think about and you know and being a patient 
being the wife of a patient, my husband had an auto has a has an autoimmune disease that we've literally been trying to get diagnosed for 10 years. He still doesn't have a diagnosis. <laughs> we finally got some medications, thankfully, but it literally took us going to, you know, one of the highest places in the land to even get someone to say, yeah, I think you have an autoimmune disease. So I understand the frustration. I get it. Not having an actual diagnosis, not having an answer, not having an easy fix is really frustrating. But that's what medicine is. All right. Well, um, I hope that was cathartic <laughs> for you. <laughs> I, 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 I hope it was, and, and the real thing is understanding that doctors are humans, that we are also just people. We are people with lots and lots of knowledge, but we are just people. We are, and if we're going to have a relationship, you have to think about it just like any other relationship, any other friendship, any other, you know, working, working relationship, colleague, acquaintance, what have you, we're both bringing things to the table. Awesome. Well, this is our last recording for the year. Mm. Um, and I wanted to, to just kind of take a break from the serious stuff and talk about like, got through one more year. Yep. This podcast for me was an accomplishment for 2018. It's something that I had talked about and thought about doing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't exactly a resolution, um, but now I'm thinking, what are my resolutions going to be? So let's talk about New Year's resolutions because these are usually the ones where everyone's like, I am going to only eat locally sourced <laughs> organic fat-free water mm -hmm. and I am going to do aerobatic Pilates hot box deprivation style twice weekly twice <laughs> twice weekly while I write my novella right <laughs> and so I'm not gonna lie I have been that person was like this is the year of Monique I'm gonna fix Monique it's gonna be a tear down rebuild year and I feel like as I've gotten older, my New Year's resolutions have gotten more and more realistic. And last year's, and um, I'm kind of, I liked it because it was easy to accomplish. But now mm -hmm. that I think about it, it was like the most <laughs> just lazy New Year's resolution. Mine was to use all my hair care products in my cabinet. I mean, that's good, though. <laughs> like, that's good. It was like money. You know how few people do that? And you know what? It was really a good New Year's resolution because mm -hmm. I found all these bottles of conditioners. And when I say all the hair care products, I mean like all the like little samples and stuff that I would get and squirreled mm -hmm. away in a plastic bag. Took those suckers with me on road trips and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, w I highly suggest that New Year's resolution. So I'm thinking that I'm going to expand that a little bit because that was a bit about waste and consumerism. Right. I'm going to try to cut down my food waste. Nice. 
that's that's I don't know how I'm gonna measure it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I'm gonna try and cut down, yeah, cut down our food waste for the year. So that's my New Year's resolution. So I have an interesting history with New Year's resolutions because I feel like I made a lot of them when I was much younger. And then I think actually around Emory is when I was like, all these are bullshit. I'm not doing resolutions anymore. <laughs> um, but I have um, had goals in mind for the year. Um, and this past year, I think I had two goals. And I will acknowledge part of it may be the, the idea of resolutions. Like I resolve to do things. I'm like, nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not resolving to do anything. I have things that I would like to do, or I think would be good to do. Not I don't think it more as a, like a defeatist. Yes. Type of like, well, I've resolved. Huh. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. Like my thing is like, if I don't accomplish it, then I feel bad versus being like, this is something that would be good to do. If I don't accomplish it, then it's like, well, you know, it, it would be good to do, but if I don't get it done all the time, that's all right. Hmm. Um, yeah. Kind of no, in the I've same. Never, like, I've never lamented. <laughs> oh, I have. I've always been like, well, there goes that. And try it again in another 362 <laughs> days. <laughs> like, when you make ridiculous resolutions, then you will fail in like two, right. two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, as you know, I am often sometimes my worst critic and worst, you know, harshest critic. So, in the same way that I stopped saying, oh my goodness, I have to work out. I have to work out. I now invite myself to work out every morning. You know, it is an invitation to myself. And if I want to take myself up on it, I can. And if I want to, you know, decline and sleep more than I can, um, it's just a nicer way than saying that this is something I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have goals. So or or things that are good for the year. So the one I was supposed to do this year was to write down positive instances and moments of positivity so that at the end of the year, I could look back and look at all these positive things and not necessarily remember the negative things, which I have not done well. I will acknowledge that. There, there's a couple from the spring And then I didn't do that as much. However, as I was talking about with my 40-ish weeks pregnancy journal, um, there is actually a section for just nice gestures. And Hmm. that I have been kind of filling in. Um, And even though I have not been keeping up on my, my journaling the way I previously had, I have been using this particular pregnancy journal to capture moments and thoughts and things more often than I have in previous years. So that I think actually has been a a really good thing um, to have the, this particular journal that has prompts and things that will actually get me writing about those things. So that was a win this last year. The other one was I want to blog ideally every fortnight, um, which is every two weeks for people. Um, I just like saying fortnightly, um, which I have not done, but I definitely blogged more this year than I have in previous years. So I, I also am appreciative of that. Going, well, f- go ahead, honey. I was going to say, 
going forward to this next year, I think my biggest um, thing that I am going to continue to work on is actually having good boundaries. Um, I, my husband calls me one more Chicago because I always take on one more thing that I probably should not be doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And um, I will have to say one positive thing about pregnancy is that it forces you to have boundaries because otherwise you will fall down. Um, And I am hoping to continue to start placing some very clear boundaries around myself, my time, and my family so that I can have good balance. And I still want to journal more, not, not journal, uh, journaling. Yes. But I still want to try and blog a little bit more. It's a good, it's a good, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good exercise. I, I also want to find time to write, but finding time. Yeah. It's it's really difficult. My dad, like your husband, my dad has a saying that I'm like water. I just, I'm just in everything. And, <laughs> and you just have to stop. He's like, when well, you, you've got to stop, you know, you've mm-hmm. got to slow down. And so, yeah, I find the hardest person to draw boundaries with is myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, well, gee, you're so much more thoughtful. I'm just going to buy like less turkey bacon. That's fine. I mean, yours is actually excellent too. It's just the fact that like I already and the see and what you're saying actually reminds me of one of my blog prompts that I've started but not finished, which is like, you know, all the things that I places I no longer shop and all the places that like I banned because of different political reasons. Like mm-hmm. I stopped shopping at Soma Bras for about three years. Yeah. I, so, I will I will say this. You would have to do a lot of stuff politically for me to like walk away from a good bra. They discontinued their brown bra and uh, replaced I, it with a pewter bra. I'm so confused by this. Pewter is a beautiful color. Pewter is not gonna, pewter may show up underneath a white shirt. Pewter is yes. not brown. I'm tired of people not acknowledging <laughs> that there are pink bras. There are black bras, and why are there not more brown bras? There are more brown people on earth than there are white people. Give me a brown or, bra. Or, or pewter people? Or Yes, we don't have aliens here yet. There are people <laughs> who are pewter. Like the whole like, the whole t-shirt bra thing. I've I've honestly don't wear white t-shirts anymore. I feel like I'm an adult. I don't I wear well, patterns. But, but like a white but sometimes I'll wear like a white blouse, like a button down. Mm-mm. I don't do that either. See, and but this is the thing. Part of the reason why I can't is because they don't make brown bras in my size, and it's a problem. And like the fact that Soma discontinued it and like just didn't even like acknowledge it, they actually brought back brown bras this year, so I bought them. But like. I, you know, and the fact that even people working in the industry, one time I was, I was talking to someone and she was like, oh, what color would you like this in? And I'm like, obviously black. And she's like, oh, why, why would that be obvious? And I'm like, because you don't make bras in my skin tone. So we're, we're going to talk about bras offline. Sorry. 
Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. This is reminding me of the dog anus conversation. <laughs> that how did we get up here? And yes. we're gonna move on. Sorry. But I have a blog that I'm, I'm intending to write that includes that and all the other places that I boycotted for other reasons. Like DiGiorno's pizza. Okay, we're moving on. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you should because it's bad pizza, but that's anyway. Um did you get to watch New Amsterdam? I I actually watched New Amsterdam right before this. Okay. Did you and you watched episode four? So I watched episode three and I am about a third of the way through episode four. Okay. And I do have to say that this is not a bad show. This it's the medicine's bad. Oh yeah. But the show itself is actually quite tolerable. And if there weren't other things I had to watch, I would I may consider continue watching this. So what did you think about the interaction with the neurologist and his patient in the emergency room? I am loving it. I love it so So, much. So in this episode, um, our favorite neurologist gets called down to the emergency room to evaluate a patient who is dizzy. And any physician listening to this has heard the complaint i am dizzy Mm -hmm. like a bazillion times Mm -hmm. and so he says to her well what is dizzy and she says well you know dizzy so what is dizzy i loved he asked that because because when i ask a patient that all the time i get the same exact response but with this like eye roll like Mm -hmm. this woman you I know. mean, and she did the same thing. Dizzy. She was like, at the other hospitals, they know what dizzy means. They know what dizzy means. Yeah. And so he says to her, I'm going to let you think about what dizzy is, and I'm going to come back. So I've never actually said to somebody, I'm going to let you think about something, and then I'm going to come back in the emergency room, because I need to evaluate you, put in some orders, and move my day and your day along. Mm-hmm. But what I have then done said, done said, what I have done is sat down and say, okay, So what does dizzy mean to you? And then I give examples. Does it mean like the room is spinning? Does it mean that um, you feel like there's ringing in your ears and you feel off kilter? Does it mean that you feel clumsy in your feet? What do you mean by dizzy? And the interesting thing I found about him is that if you remember the resident actually asked him, why don't you give her options? And he's like, I don't want to influence her answers. Mm-hmm. Any options that I give her is going to influence. I really want to know what it means to her, which I also thought was interesting. I mean, let's be real. I would have just given her options too and gotten on with my day. But he is the slower doctor. He's mm-hmm. the one who, as he says, you know, fast medicine that is inaccurate is not helpful. Um, so... I, I I appreciated that being brought forth. I would be intrigued to see if we had enough time to, you know, actually just let patients tell us. Because, I mean, I feel like the same thing with pain. I'm in pain. What kind of pain? You know, pain. No, I don't know what kind of pain you're in. I usually say, like, aching pain, starping, sharp pain, stabbing mm. pain, heat pain. Like, but... It's the same thing. Like, I would love to give people enough time 
to actually sit, think, and really evaluate what the sensations they are having. Yeah. So that was, I, I actually really love that character. I forgot. Yeah, he's doctor. great. He's great. What's his doctor? I don't, I don't remember his name. But I kind of really love his character because he also has that thing right now with the um, bakery lady. Yeah, it's so cute. And I love it. It's like old people love. So they don't adorable. like he doesn't know how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like shows up with a bunch of treats, and everyone's like, yes. You can't give her those. He's like, These are not what are you talking about? These are just sweets. <laughs> like, yes, it's, it's very sweet. I also appreciate, um, in the third episode where the cardiothoracic surgeon had hired a bunch of new attendings, mm-hmm. and they're a bunch of women of color, right? And they're running into a donor and she was like, Oh, like, who is this? It's like, this is the cardiothoracic department. And she's like, Oh, you're also, he's like accomplished. <laughs> he's like, no, you're just excellent surgeons. Tall. <laughs> you know, I just loved watching him let her, that white woman twist on like her words and feelings and not quite understanding what her assumption of what a cardiothoracic department would look like. Mm -hmm. But I also appreciated later when the ER doc was kind of ribbing him about like, Oh, I see you tried to find yourself a wife. And he's like, no, he's like, do you know how many, like the statistics for black surgeons, do you know how many of them are women? Yeah. He's like, I'm going to, a, I'm going to hire he's surgeons like, of all like gender. He's the most woke dude on television yes. right now. Yes. Versus his character on it was the, the resident. Right. <laughs> First of all, I need to IMBD this man. Like right? why he only plays attending physicians. Um, <laughs> no idea who this person is. Uh, but like, on the resident, he's like, I am the attending. Right. And I know attending things, you know. Right. (laughs) On this this side, he's just more like, I'm a servant to people, you know. Um, So, I mean, and I love the fact that he just broke it down and he's like, you know, I'm going to hire people of every gender and every race, but I'm hiring women of color first. And I was just like, yes, thank you. Oh my God! I give uh, lots of credit because mm-hmm. this woman of color does not want to be in anybody's OR, so I would not be on that team. I'll tell you that much. My, you know, my sister is an orthopedic surgeon. She is, and I remember when we were talking about her, you know, where she was going to practice, and one of the things that really brought home why she was going to practice in certain places and she was like because there are other female orthopedic surgeons there she was like it was just like yeah I'm going to practice where I actually see someone else who looks like me it's just like wow yeah I think it's really important to have a lot of um support and Mm -hmm. and I, I cannot imagine what female surgeons life is like um because Whoa! Medical student, what's going on? I just, I just IMDb this guy. He is a producer and director. He directed Dreamgirls, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's a director and a producer. First of all, what's old boy's name? Jacko Sim. 
J- Jacko. Jacko Sibs. I know, really, I was, right? Yeah, I hope it's not Jacko. I hope it's truly Jacko. J-O-K- J-O-C-K-O. Jocko. 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 Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, look at that. The attending. The attending has actually been doing big things. And here yeah. I was thinking he was just the attending. Right. Some that's random ass I, dude. That's what I thought. That's what I get for assuming. Guess who mm-hmm. looked like the ass? You and right. me. Right. Right. You and me, Marguerite. I I I I hear that. I I was not expecting that. And so awesome. Well, I'm glad you're liking it. Because yes. um I'm gonna let you pick however many more episodes you want to watch. Okay. Because there's a few. And then we're moving on to another show that I think is a, a groundbreaking show. Um, Call- about a female physician. Covers a lot of really great things about being a physician and being a patient. And I've been watching it nonstop. What is um, it called? Called Doc McStuffins. Yes! And I think we really do need to unpack that. <laughs> I I actually a hundred percent agree with you. Um I I am down to watch some Doc McStuffins episodes. I um actually went as Doc McStuffins um for two Halloweens in a row because the first time I was actually working on peds and so it made more sense. And the second year everyone thought it was so brilliant that they just begged me to do it again. Yeah. Um I also completely freaked out a little girl who was watching Doc McStuffins as I walked in the room dressed as Doc McStuffins. And I was oh, like, oh, you're awesome. watching. I was like, oh, you're watching my show. That's great. And she just was like, jaw dropped, just like eyes, just like. Father <gasps> <just> like, <laughs> number one got a Doc McStuffins um, kit for Christmas. And nice. she's walking around checking everyone's ears. <laughs> here. Yeah. Um. But it talks a lot about how to be a patient, which mm-hmm. I think is really sweet. And we can take some lessons from, from Doc McStuffins. So I'm down to watch a few more episodes of yeah, I'm um, down. Amsterdam because they really do approach approach medicine, I think, in a, in a novel way mm-hmm. in um, television right now. It's not just like Chicago Med, which is like, how many things can we blow up at the same time this sexy man takes his shirt off? you know <laughs> right Ooh, and the er doc looks like she has a drug problem so i'm interested to get oh, into that yes mm-hmm. I'm interesting that. Into- yeah yeah that's interesting they yeah, found she, the, she the lost Adderall. her she yeah i figured she right now i figured it was some kind of stimulant right now she she's like i lost my ibuprofen mm-hmm. yeah and i'm like yeah that's clearly a stimulant um okay so so i'm excited yeah well, that'll be fun That'll be lots of fun. So, um, Marguerite, yeah, your Twitter handle. Where can our followers find you to follow you? My, they can follow me at Doctor underscore Marguerite. That's M A R G A R E T T E M D, and yours is the best, which is at Doctor Mo's Best. Correct, Doctor Mo's Best. That's me. And, and you guys can. Keep emailing us. Yes, please. Tireddoctors at gmail.com. Yeah, tireddoctors talking at gmail. Thank you. Um, we haven't got any new questions, nope. so we're looking forward to them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I am going to put in, I know this is the end of the show and everyone's done, but JAMA, December 18th, 2018, just to go back to what we talked about previously, put out a meta-analysis on opioids for chronic non-cancer pain and found that opioids are only slightly better than placebo. It was a meta-analysis of 96 randomized clinical trials with over 26,000 patients. And this meta-analysis found that opioids are only slightly better than placebo. So just, you know, going back on what we said previously um, in our, like our last series, um, you know, there's, there's way better medications out there to treat chronic pain and opioids are just not where it's at. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending some time with me. Yes. Thank you for spending time with me as well. Um, I enjoy your time as always. This is wonderful. I want you to get some rest. Enjoy your new years. Don't party too hard. Yes. All we're doing is watching a prolonged movie marathon of our favorite movies of each genre. So what are you guys doing? uh, Working. No, you're working, Chris. I don't really know what my work schedule is right now. (laughs) I mean, like you said it, and I was like, oh. (laughs) I know that the the first I'm I'm home because daycare is closed. So someone has to be with the little people or they'll call child protect services on us so yeah um so you should so be I home working, i think i'm working from new year's eve oh Woof, that's anyway. hard that's hard good luck with that it's scaring me well i mean new year's eve is a notorious hard day it's like the day after i Christmas. feel like i feel like there are certain holidays that are hard for medical uh, specialties and then there are certain holidays that are hard for surgical specialties and I feel like New Year's Eve is one of those surgical specialties because people do dumb stuff. That, that is true. In some kind of injury. And when I was a resident, um, Cinco de Mayo fell on a Friday night and it was also fight night. Like there was Ooh. a box. I, I forgot who was boxing. And this was in Southern California, about three hours north of Tijuana. Ooh. And... I felt so bad for the surgery residents on that night because yeah. everybody thought that they were some kind of hero and mm. got drunk and got in a fight and jumped off a roof and something, something. And like medically, I was just like, oh, well, you just need some hydration because you'll be in the ne- the next day with the pancreatitis and the vomit. <laughs> right, right. But the actual night is much more, um, hold my beer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And that's gonna that ends well only for your searches checkbook. Please don't jump off of things. Don't don't jump off of things. Don't get into fights. Make sure that you have a designated driver or someone who is able to work a phone for Uber or Lyft. Mm-hmm. Like don't 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 be crazy, y'all. Yeah, don't be crazy. Don't wear a new pair of shoes you haven't worn before, ladies. Oh, that's a good don't one. Tear up your ankles and your feet. That's a good one. That's good. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. That's just All a pro right. tip for Monique. That's nothing to do with medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good night, my friend. You too. Good night. Greetings to all of the fam who's there. You too.
Thanks. Bye. Bye.